1 Peter chapter 5, you have a Bible with you, and as you're, uh, as you're finding that uh, this, this morning, I just want to ask a, a quick uh, question uh, asked in the earlier service. How many of you, this is your first time in a Sunday morning worship service in this room? How many of you? Okay, wow, yeah, very good, very good. You know what surprised me was actually, uh, even in the first service, it was, it was about 50% uh, or so that that was their, their first time here. And so that's, that's, that is great. Just a lot of, a lot of rich heritage, uh, uh, certainly in, in a place like this. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, weddings, funerals, and other things. Uh, uh, and we're certainly, certainly grateful, as Brian shared a little bit of the, uh, of the heritage there. Uh, there is that sense, and, and I, I just you know wanted us to kind of just sit with that for just a moment again this morning, that we really do stand on the shoulders of people who have gone before us. Uh, and that, that's something I, I think, think significant to, uh, to, to just check in with uh, every now and again. I know it's always about the latest and the greatest, and we want the newest, the fastest technology, and all of those things, and I'm not, not against any of that. But what I'm just saying is just to, just to also live with a recognition that, uh, that, that God's been at work a long time before any of us showed up on the scene, right? Uh, and I think that that's just a, a good reminder maybe uh, for some of us. I, one of my sayings is I'm convinced every generation has its own arrogance. Uh, every generation thinks, uh, you know, uh, the one before them didn't know a whole lot and the one after them is going to screw everything up, right? Uh, we somehow think we all got it together in our generation. Uh, but God's been at work in lots of different ways. And, and we do not worship a building because if you know the history of this church, you know, buildings have come and buildings have gone. Uh, there's a lot, some buildings just no longer are, are here that God used uh, for a season and for a reason. Uh, but we are thankful uh, for the men and women. When I go back and read the history, I'm humbled. I'm humbled to think about men and women who, who some of them mortgaged their homes so they would have a place to worship. And uh, that's, that's some pretty powerful stuff. Some people sold assets so that they could provide a place for people to gather for worship long after they were going to be gone. And so just, just a sense of appreciation uh, for the example of those uh, who have gone before us. And it ties in so well with what we're going to talk about today when we're going to talk about uh, our influence and our impact along the way. And so with that, I would just like to, in this setting, just take a moment and just, and just pray. Uh, just thanking God for those who have gone before us and maybe challenging God help us to be faithful as well. So would you join me in that, please? Father, we do thank you for men and women who have set the example, who have set the pace, uh, men and women who were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination because they were just like us. Uh, and yet, Father, uh, throughout the generations, uh, we find a, a camaraderie, we find a connectedness, we find a commonality at the foot of the cross. And we thank you and, and praise you for that. Father, we thank you for uh, the shoulders that we do stand upon. And Father, help us to never, uh, never neglect that, uh, but also help us, Father, never to get just caught up in that uh, so that it becomes a hindrance to, uh, to being who you have called us to be in this generation. And Father, we pray, Lord, that uh, should you tarry in your return in your perfect time, Lord, 
that those who come behind us might indeed have found us to be just as faithful, uh, just as hot-hearted, just as obedient uh, in our moment, in our leg of the race, in our generation, as those who have gone before us. And so, Father, we just ask you now, take your word in this unique environment and quicken it to our hearts. And we ask this now in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, going from the the history post-Civil War to a Steve Jobs quote, how about that? Steve Jobs of Apple fame said, we're here to put a dent in the universe. Otherwise, why else even be here? Why else even be here? There is something that Jobs picked up on that I think there's something in us that kind of resonates with a statement like that. We feel like, hey, we were made to make a difference, that our life matters, that our life can contribute, that our life can count to something beyond just kind of feeding ourselves and providing shelter and having a few moments of happiness along the way, that we were made for something greater. We were made for something bigger we were made for something larger that that God has a purpose in us being here beyond that and Peter picked up on that and as we come to chapter 5 in this letter we've been making our way through he, he wants to talk to us about about how do you improve your impact how do you position yourselves if you will in such a way that your life can make the most difference you may say, well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a Steve Jobs. Or here in the 4th of July, you know, I, I'm not a George Washington or a Thomas Jefferson or Betsy Ross or uh, Abraham Lincoln or whoever it may be. Listen, that's not the point. The point is not whether you'll ever be highlighted on Fox or CNN. Uh, the point is you were made to matter. You were made to matter. And your life can have influence and impact that extends beyond just a moment, that even extends beyond your generation. You can have impact and influence that extends throughout eternity. It can fairly be argued, I think, for me without a doubt, that Jesus lived the most significant life that was ever and will ever be lived. That Jesus was the one who lived the most significant life. Western civilization wouldn't be anything like it is apart from Jesus Christ. And certainly, the the, the ramifications of what Jesus did for eternity are going to resound literally forever. Nobody, nobody lived a more significant life than Jesus Christ. And so when Peter writes to us about how to improve our impact, he's writing as somebody who had a first-hand audience, front row seat to see the most significant life that was ever lived. And in so doing, he, he kind of unpacks for us four things that you and I can leverage, you and I can make part of our life that will help us to improve our impact. And so let's set the stage, chapter 5, verse 1, kind of as an introduction. So I exhort the elders among you 
as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. A couple of quick introductory thoughts. The first is he is writing primarily in this section of the letter to leaders in local congregations. But these are leaders in local congregations, remember, who are undergoing suffering. And in the midst of suffering, maybe what you're thinking about is how do I hunker down? How do I hunker down, keep my head low, keep out of trouble, not, not, not kind of create any waves? But he said, no, 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 you were made to make an impact. You were made to make an impact, and this is how you live, even in the midst of trial and suffering. And then Peter self-identifies. He identifies himself as a fellow elder. He said, I'm not above you. I'm, I'm, I'm one of you, that I, I, I'm in the same struggle. I'm walking in the same way. I'm dealing with some of the same stuff. A fellow elder, a witness to the suffering of Christ, a witness to the suffering of Christ. He had, had that view of, of the suffering of Jesus Christ, the arrest. But then he also maybe was alluding to his own denial of Christ. We don't know, you know, did he actually see the crucifixion? He denied Christ and ran away. And yet, even in that self-identification is a reminder. Even if you've blown it, even if you've messed up along the way, God isn't finished with you yet. God can use your life. God can still use you to make a difference, to have influence, to make an impact on the lives of others. And then he talks about the hope that is to come. I'm a partaker in the glory to be revealed. It's a celebration of the grace and the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And, and so with that is kind of our, the, the introduction to, to what he wants to say. He gives us four things, four things about how to improve our impact. The first one is start serving. Start serving. Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, there's a whole lot there when he talks about start serving, and immediately we can say, okay, start serving, check, I got that. But, but, but he, he, he draws it out a little bit. He reminds us to choose desire over duty, to choose desire over duty. Well, what he's saying is here, don't, don't shepherd, don't exercise overtight, don't serve under compulsion. Don't do it because you have to. But willing, that, that, that shift of mentality, of this is not something I have to do. God, by your grace, this is something that I get to do. That, that I begin to see this not as an obligation, but as an opportunity. And maybe I just need to come before God and say, God, I need a change of heart on this. Because some of us, let's face it, sometimes when it comes to serving, it feels more like have to than get to, doesn't it? I have to do this. I have to do that. And when I do that, I don't bring my best self to serving. I don't bring my best self to the Lord. And in that moment, I say, God, I need your help. He says, so well, Jeff, what do I do when I hear what you're saying, man? I, I hear that it should be more of a get-to than a have-to, but it still feels a lot like have-to. Well, I, I just encourage you, as I have in so many other occasions, be honest with God, all right? Be honest with God. It's not like you're going to tell God something he's never heard before. 
It's not like he's going to be shocked because you reveal something about yourself, right? And he's going to say, oh, I didn't know that. He knows. He knows. And so it may be just to be gut-level honest and say, God, I'm struggling. This feels like I have to. But God, I'm willing to be made willing. Maybe you just need to pray that. God, I'm willing to be made willing. God, help me to see this not as just an obligation that I have to, but as an opportunity that I get to. I get to serve you. I I, I get to point others to you. I get to represent you. I get to be used by you to make a difference in somebody's life. And so I begin to choose desire over duty. I choose the mindset of giving over getting. Choose giving over getting, that I'm not doing it under, under compulsion, but I'm not doing it for shameful gain. I'm not doing it focused on what I can get, but eagerly, eagerly, so that I, I, I wanna, want to do it. I want to focus not just on give, getting, but on giving. And since we're thinking about history, maybe we'll go back in our American history a, a few decades. A few of you are old enough maybe to remember JFK as president, right? John F. Kennedy. And his famous words, I think in his inaugural address, some of you know it, maybe you heard it in a history book, ask not what your country can do for you. Instead, ask what you can do for your country. He was talking about a mind shift. A mind shift that says, I'm not just going to focus on getting, but I'm going to focus on giving. I'm going to focus on giving. And and that that begins to be part of that shift that takes place as I start serving. Thirdly, choose being an example over being in control. Being an example over being in control. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Most of us don't need somebody else telling us what to do, do we? (laughs) But we sure could use a few more people showing us what to do. Being an example that we could follow. And part of of what Peter's encouraging here is, is be an example. I love the way that Bob Russell talked about it. You're to be the example, not the exception. And you know what happens to us over time? We, 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 maybe we, we experience a little success. Maybe we get in a certain position of influence and leadership. Maybe we, we experience a certain level of prosperity. And somewhere along the way, there begins to be a little bit of a subtle shift. That subtle shift begins to come, and we begin to think, well, you know, I'm the exception. <laughs> I'm the exception. I don't have to do this anymore. I, I, the rules are a little bit different for me now. When you're in those positions, it's even more important for you to not try to be the the exception, but to be the example, to be the example that others would follow. And isn't that exactly how Jesus lived? And that's certainly what he taught in Matthew 20. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even... As the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for 
many. You want your life to matter. You want your impact. You want to have influence. Start serving. Start serving. But secondly, he says, strive for eternal rewards. Strive for eternal rewards. Verse 4, but when the chief shepherd appears, he, and he, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He, he talks about the accountability that we can have uh, in, before Jesus Christ, this chief shepherd who is going to appear. And the challenge here is to focus on pleasing God, to focus on pleasing Christ Jesus most of all. Yes, I'm going to serve others, but I'm most concerned about pleasing Jesus Christ. I'm going to seek to please him even as I serve other people. And and particularly in the context that we're in this morning and thinking about the the history of our church, I was just drawn to Hebrews chapter 12, those first couple verses, talking about being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, what a great, great reminder. It just ties in exactly with what what Peter is saying here as I strive for eternal rewards, as I look to the chief shepherd who's going to return and those those rewards that he's going to have. And I pick up this imagery from Hebrews 12. And it begins by a call to set some things aside. Set aside everything that hinders and the sin that entangles. That that if I'm really going to have an impact, that there are some things that I'm going to cut out of my life. There are some things that that I'm going to remove from my life. Now, the most obvious and evident is sin. Those things that that are in rebellion to God, that are dishonoring to God, that are in direct contradiction to a command of God. Those are going to have no place in my life if my life is going to have maximum impact. But not only that, but for a person who says, I really want my life to matter, they come to that moment and they understand sometimes it's not between saying no to a bad thing so I can say yes to a good thing, but sometimes it's about saying, God, I want my life to matter, and I need you to help me to distinguish between good, better, and best. Because there are some things that maybe I don't have room for in my life now, not because they're a bad thing, not because they're a sinful thing, but because they keep me from your best thing. I've only got so much time. I've only got so much energy. I've only got so much capacity to focus. God, how can I best use that? How can I best steward that in my one and only life? And so part of, part of focusing on eternal rewards is understanding that, 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 hey, there are some things that may be okay, but they're not going to be God's best. They're not going to bring me to where God wants me to be. But also here in Hebrews, there's a call to persevere. To persevere. To to run with endurance. There are a lot of flashes in the pan, right? A lot of folks, that they kind of, they're there for a moment. They make a splash, and it's kind of like, whatever happened to them? Or, or they, they were good on the platform for a moment. And then, and then where, where's, the, where's the continuing impact and influence of that along the way? And what he's calling for here is a perseverance. A perseverance. A perseverance or persistence has been called the invisible living strategy. 
strategy in all champions. Regardless of the field of endeavor, it's not those who just start off well. It's not those who have good intentions. It's those who continue. They continue to run the race. They continue to train. They continue to do the hard thing. They continue to show up. They continue to give attention to the little things in life, even when nobody's looking along the way. They persevere. They're persistent. They run with endurance. And there are times that all of us feel like giving up, right? All of us feel like, I've done my turn. I've had enough. Somebody else. And there may be a shifting of assignments, absolutely. But those who make a sustained impact are those who persist and persevere along the way. And then he says to run your God-given race. To run your God-given race. And you've heard me say before, listen, God knew what he was doing when he made you, you. God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you, you. And part of, part of making the maximum impact with my life, part of improving my influence and impact is understanding how God's put me together. How has God so wired me? All of us have those moments in our life when we say, I wish I had more of this and less of this. I wish I was different. I wish, the, I wish God had made me this way, right? But God knew what he was doing when he made you, you. And so part of my challenge, part of your challenge is to say, don't waste your life trying to be a cheap imitation of somebody else. Learn from others. Be inspired by their example. Absolutely. But come to that point of God. Help me to run my race. Help me to run the race that you have uniquely marked out for me. And part of that's even resisting sometimes pressure because everybody else has a wonderful plan for your life. I mean, think about it in terms of like Olympics or track and field or something. I mean, let's just be honest. If you got the body of a shot putter, it doesn't matter how hard you train, you're never going to win a medal in the 100-meter dash, are you? It's just not going to happen. You're, you're, just, you're built differently, right? Sometimes it's like, well, you can be anything you want to be. No, I think you can be everything God wants you to be. But part of it is, who has God created me to be? What is the environment that he has placed me in? What are the opportunities right before me, right here, right now? Run your God-given race and then fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus because you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get disoriented along the way and you have to keep coming back to Jesus to focus on pleasing Christ most of all. Because Listen, if, you, if you're serious about impact, not everybody's going to applaud that. Not everybody's going to often celebrate that. In fact, sometimes it may even be criticized along the way. And in those moments, you're going to need strength to persevere. And you're going to need kind of a true north. And you're going to need to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Jude said, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. It, it is God who is able to keep you. Christ Jesus who is able to keep you from stumbling. To present you blameless when that chief shepherd returns along the way. And so I maximize my impact when I, when I start serving. When I strive for eternal rewards. But the third thing that Peter coaches us here is to stay humble. 
to stay humble. It's been said, stay humble or you'll stumble. And there's a whole lot of truth in that. Notice the words Peter uses. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. There is this, this calling to, to, to come with a, with a Christ-centered humility along the way. And that's something we are to choose. And, and you know, God has a way of teaching us that, right? Uh, some of you are old enough to, to remember when you used to have to lick stamps or spit on them to get them to stick to an envelope. Okay, now this, this is most of you kind of remember some of those days. Well, legendary college football coach Lou Holtz great stories. He has so many great stories. But he talked about his time in Arkansas. And, and he went to Arkansas and was turning that program around, had this great, I think maybe one of the greatest winning percentages ever there. Took him to this upset Orange Bowl victory, and it was great. And he said, everybody was celebrating Lou Holtz. He said, you know, they even, they even made a commemorative stamp. I mean, it was, it was great times. And then the next year, he said, I lost to Texas. He said, then they had to recall that stamp because everybody started spitting on the wrong side. <laughs> and I tell you, it's a quick trip from the penthouse to the outhouse sometimes, isn't it? And part of it is to say, God, help me to choose humility. Help me to choose humility. Matthew records Christ's teaching. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Notice the connection, exactly what, what, what Peter says. Ours is not to exalt. Ours is to humble ourselves and lead the exaltation to Him. Philippians 2, the, the embodiment that Christ gave to that. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Samuel Bringle was once introduced in a speaking engagement as the great Dr. Bringle. And that, that made him quite uncomfortable. And he, he stood and carried on the speech, but he would later note in his diary, If I appear great in their eyes... The Lord is most graciously helping me to see how absolutely nothing I am without Him and helping me to keep little in my own eyes. He does use me, but I'm so concerned that He uses me and that it is not of me the work is done. The axe cannot boast of the trees that is cut down. It could do nothing but for the woodsman. He made it, He sharpened it, He used it. The moment he throws it aside, it becomes only old iron. Oh, that I may never lose sight of this. Please understand. It's not saying we're talking about improving our impact. It's not saying my, my life doesn't make a difference. Your life makes a difference. It does. But just to come with that recognition that, that it is all dependent upon God. It is all dependent upon God's Spirit working in and through me. 
And one of the greatest ways to help continually cultivate that humility is by serving in secret. Serving in secret. Richard Foster, who wrote so powerfully on the the, the spiritual discipline, said, of all the classical spiritual disciplines, service is the most conducive to the growth of humility. When we set out on a consciously chosen course of action that accepts the good of others and is for the most part a hidden work, a deep change occurs in our spirit. Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. And nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. Sometimes just to serve and do it in a way that nobody will notice, nobody will applaud, nobody will affirm. I know at that moment I'm just serving someone else and seeking to please the Lord. Interesting this week, and I was reading a little bit more about Samuel Ringel and his, particularly the, the way God used him in the Salvation Army and then through that movement. Great thinker, great theologian, skilled communicator, all writer, all of these things. But when he first linked up with the Salvation Army, had all of these gifts and skills, but they took him and they put him to work shining and blackening the shoes of some all the other folks that were working there in that little unit of the Salvation Army. And he talks about being there in that little dingy room in the basement and just complaining to God. God, I'm, I'm more gifted than this. God, I can do so much more than this. God, this isn't right, and I'm wasting my talent and wasting my life here. And he said in that moment, God graciously just gave him a reminder of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And in that moment, he was so overcome. He said, oh God, if you gave up the glories of heaven and came and washed the dirty, stinking feet of these rebellious disciples, And Lord, if your assignment for my life is to sit here and shine these shoes of some of your servants, I'll gladly do it. I'll gladly do it. Service, hidden service, has a way of cultivating humility in our life. Stay humble. But one more thing. He says in verse 7 stop worrying and start praying. Stop worrying and start praying. Verse 7 is maybe a familiar verse to to, to many of us in this room. Casting all of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Casting all your worries, all your cares, all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Worry, you can think about, is kind of letting the problem work on you. It's letting the problem work on you. It kind of grinds us down. It fogs our thinking. It, it drags down our heart. It, it affects us uh, physically and mentally and emotionally. But praying, praying is you and God working on the problem. You and God working on the problem. Now, part of the challenge for, with this particular verse is, uh, so some of us, when we hear cast, we think fishing, rod and reel, right? And that's exactly how some of us cast our cares upon God. We, we, we say, God, I'm going to give this to you, 
And then we immediately start reeling it back in, right? Throw it out, reel it back in. Throw it out, reel it back in, right? And, and we keep bringing it back to ourselves. Kind of reminds me of a story of, uh, of a guy who was ice fishing. And he, you know, so wanted to do this and do it well and have all these stories to go back and tell his buddies. And he's out there freezing, and he is not catching a thing. And he just, he is frustrated, and he's doubly frustrated when he looks over and there's this young kid who's just pulling out fish after fish after fish. And he's just like, I don't understand it. You know, I've, I've done everything. I've got all the latest equipment, all this stuff. And finally, he just says, I, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to go over there and see what this kid has to say. And so, so he goes over and he asks the kid, he said, he said how are you catching all these fish? And the kid kind of goes, He's really frustrated now. He's like, no, no, I really want to know. I want you to teach me. How are you getting all these fish? And the kid just kind of mumbles back to him. And this goes on like two or three times. And now he's really exasperated, right? And finally he says, tell me, tell me, I, how are you catching all these fish? And finally the kid kind of spits this stuff out of his mouth. And he says, you got to keep your worms warm. <laughs> How about lunch? Y'all ready for lunch? <laughs> What's the point of that story? It's not a point at all. I just wanted to tell it. but <laughs> No, actually, there is a point. Some of us keep our worries warm, don't we? We keep warming them up. We keep reheating them. We keep them close. We may even keep them in our mouth and kind of talk over and over and over of them. But see, when the Bible uses the word cast, it's not throw it out there and reel it back in. The Bible uses the word cast as placing a weight on someone else. So that I take this weight, I take the weight of my worry, I take the weight of my anxiety, and I put it upon him for him to begin to carry that. And that doesn't mean I don't think. It doesn't mean I don't pray. It doesn't mean I don't act. But it means that I, I, I take that burden, I take that weight, and I cast it on him to be the carrier of that. And so I stop worrying, and I start praying. And what happens when I do? Paul reminds us in Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want to improve your impact? It's going to improve exponentially when you're operating from a center a center that is centered in Jesus Christ. A center that's not filled with anxiety and worry and keeps rewarming those things up or keeps pulling them back in. But a heart that is centered solidly on Jesus Christ. His peace guards your heart. His peace guards your mind. And that peace becomes the platform that you operate out of. And you can have a greater impact when you operate out of that core of peace because of that connection to Jesus Christ. Here's the bottom line. Everybody, everybody's life has influence. Everybody's life has impact. 
And, and the world may never notice your influence or your impact. It may never applaud you. It may never reward you with fame or fortune. But everybody's life has impact. Everybody's life has influence. The only question is, what kind and how much? What kind of impact? What kind of influence? How much? How deep? And I'm not sure that we can fully answer those questions until we see God's evaluation of it in all eternity. But I think there's a couple questions that can help us begin to move in the right direction. First one, what will be the lasting impact of your one and only life on the lives of others? Because you and I only get one run at this thing, right? There is, this is not dress rehearsal. This is not I'll kind of coast through this one and do it better next time. What will be the lasting impact of your one and only life on the lives of others? And the parallel question is, what will be the lasting impact of your one and only life from God's eternal perspective? Not just how would I evaluate that, how would others evaluate that, but from the perspective of eternity, against the backdrop of eternity, what is going to be the impact of my one and only life? Brian shared earlier the history of this church goes back to right after the Civil War, or for those of you raised in the South, the War of Northern Aggression, right? <laughs> but, uh, uh, but interesting, in 1865, just a few years before this church was founded, two cousins impacted the world. But they impacted the world in radically different ways. We've already hinted at one of them. In that year, General William Booth founded the Salvation Army. And to this day, millions are fed, clothed, given shelter in the name of Jesus Christ. And as Booth proclaimed, a heart to God and a hand to man. Countless people across the world have been impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ because this man chose to legacy his life in a way that mattered for all eternity. He had a distant cousin who shared the same last name. We remember him with some infamy. His distant cousin was John Wilkes Booth, who assassinated President Abraham Lincoln. One cousin's life blessed, another cousin's life cursed. What is going to be the lasting impact, the lasting influence of your one and only life? And I know what some of us are thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's great for those people, for the highly gifted, for people that have an easier road than I've got. But I'm just one guy. I'm just one lady living in a little old corner of the world that a lot of folks have never even heard of. 
What can I do? Can I encourage you with the words of Edward Everett Hale? I am only one, but still, I am one. I cannot do everything, but still, I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Start where you are. Start with the spheres of influence where God has placed you. And what you'll find is that when God finds one, God finds one who is, who is willing to serve, one who will stay humble, one who will focus on eternal rewards, one who will, will not let worry choke the life out them, but will be energized by prayer. When God finds one man, one woman like that, he finds that man or woman and he knows how to exalt them. He knows how to multiply their impact beyond their wildest imagination. You're only one. You can't do everything, but by God's grace, you can do something. And that something can matter for all eternity. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer, please. Oh, Father. Thank you that you still use ordinary men and women like us in extraordinary, eternity-impacting ways. And Father, I, I just pray right now, Lord, I, I pray knowing that, that the needs are many, many, many in this room right now. Father, some of, us, some of us need encouragement this morning. Some of us need to be encouraged that you're not finished with us yet, that our past doesn't define us, that, that our mistakes are not the, the final chapter that we're ever going to write, that you can still use imperfect people like us. Uh, Father, some of us need to be encouraged today that while we can't do everything by your strength, we can do something. By your strength, that something can be multiplied beyond our wildest imagination. Father, some of us need direction today. We need direction. We've gotten disoriented. We've gotten tangled up with things that, as we step back and look at them, aren't really going to matter. And we need you, Father, just to redirect us. Redirect our lives. Father, there are some of us that need a little humility today. We need to take our eyes off of self and fix them upon you. We need fresh eyes to see the needs around us. Maybe we need, Lord, just to leverage a few opportunities to do something that nobody will ever hear about. Nobody will ever know or notice but you. Father, some of us need hope. hope that our life matters and that our influence and impact can make a difference. Father, encourage us today. I'm just going to ask you, if you would, to just take another moment or two and just sit before the Lord right